Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Hit us up on Twitter at Derek and Mike Pod. We're on Instagram as Derek and Mike or on our website, DerekandMike.com. My name is Mike. This is my boy, Derek. What's up, Mike? What's up, everybody? D, I am really excited to talk to our guest today um, because we get to talk about drums. So I'm pumped. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so our guest is a professional drummer and drum tech uh he's toured all over the world with all kinds of incredible bands um just to name a few he's worked for corn rob zombie marilyn manson and a whole bunch more i'm super stoked to talk to him uh with us today is david Nestor. how you doing david good good what's going on guys happy to be here thanks so much for joining us yeah of course um so you are currently on tour right now right Correct. Yep. And touring with the band Greta Van Fleet. Yep. I embarrassed to say that I had not heard of Greta Van Fleet before I looked at your schedule and saw you were on like literally a worldwide tour with them right now. Right. You're going everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. We have legs in most of the continents. We're doing South America in April. Um, We're supposed to go to Europe just depending on situations over there. But yeah, looks like a really busy schedule this year, which I'm excited about. Wow, yeah, I bet. Um, when I saw Greta Van Fleet, I stupidly just assumed, ah, oh, it's probably like a young female solo artist I'd never heard of. So I looked them up, and they're fucking awesome, dude. It's like a, yeah. a trippy band, honestly. It's like a total 70s, like kind of like um, Led Zeppelin-y kind of a feel. Uh, mm-hmm. Super cool, man. So that must be a fun tour to be on. It's a lot different than what I'm used to, um, but not in a bad way. It's a really, really good vibe uh, from the band to the crew. Everybody gels really well together, which is sick. Um, there's no computers running the show, which is new for me, because I used to do playback as well as drum tech. Okay. So I was in charge of running all the live show through two computers, it would do the click tracks, any backing tracks. Um, they don't have any of that. No click tracks, no auto-tune. Everything is natural. It's real rock and roll. And that's wow. kind of how I started, which I really like. Yeah. That's, so that's full... speaking Mike's language right there. Mike is uh, anti-electronica. <laughs> I've yeah, played I mean, drums for a long have... time. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And we're going to talk about that. I'm curious. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they use electronics, obviously, for like bass pedals and... Um, like the keyboards and stuff, sure. but everything else, it's, it's all natural. Their playing is real. Wow. Yeah. Nice. It's got such a fun old school, like seventies vibe to it. Um, I imagine live, all of that comes through just so much more. And like you said, it just has like this really raw natural feel must be a ton of fun for big audiences. And, mm-hmm. uh, dude, I was impressed too. When I looked them up on Spotify, it gave like a little summary or a little, a little blurb about the band that was saying that, they're brand new apparently. Right. So like in three years, that's what Spotify said in three years, Greta Van Fleet went from playing dive bars in Detroit to playing like stadiums all over the world, which yeah, yeah. Dude, 
That's incredible. I didn't know bands really broke like that anymore, or at least this style of music. Not, you know, sure, like pop stars and whatever, I guess, but like right. real bands, it's it's cool to see a band explode so quickly like that. Yeah, it's it's um, kind of unheard of, but they're riding the wave, and they're actually pretty normal, down-to-earth dudes from Michigan. Wow. Um, they don't have a rock star mentality at all, and I hope it stays that way. Yeah. Um, really, really interesting to work with guys that are pretty young compared to people I've worked with in the past that still have uh, such a fire and passion to play music. Yeah. Um, not saying anything bad about people that have done this for a long time, but you do get jaded, right? Sure. Or yeah, it becomes get, a get, more of a job. And... Yeah, get put into a routine. These guys, we've rehearsed so much, they'll jam for like three hours just because they love to play music. Wow. Um, and a lot of the times during the show, they'll extend a song five or ten minutes just jamming. And Wow. They do what they want, and we're cool with it, obviously. Pretty kick-ass, man. <clears throat> yeah. And, and so you are the drum tech on this tour, right? Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned, and I saw on your website, too, playback tech. And you just touched on a little bit of what that means, but I had never heard of that. I didn't know what that means. So that's that's managing the, the audio back into the mixing system or in the recording system? Uh, yeah, sort of. So uh, playback techs, I mean, especially in the pop world, are super... Uh, vital because there's so much music in the background. So I guess an example could be anybody that doesn't have a full backing band. Um, okay. They would have a full-time playback tech. And usually you have a redundant system. So you're running an A and a B computer and you can run it through any digital, digital audio workstation. Um, a lot of people use digital performer. That's what I used for corn and for um, Marilyn Manson. Okay. But nowadays, especially in the country world, Ableton is the DAW that most people use. Um, it's pretty user-friendly. I've used it for country gigs, too. Okay. But um, basically, without boring you with too many details of it, you have all of your tracks, which include your click track for the drummer to stay on. And if you only have one guitar player, they might have some extra guitar parts. Or if you only have one vocalist, maybe some backing vocals. All of those run on an actual track. And okay. it's set to a timer obviously with the click. So um, depending on how you set it up, you can set up a foot pedal for the drummer to start and stop the song when they're ready. Or I've done it before. So with corn, I would have to watch for cues. So Ray, the drummer and I, we would go back and forth. Um, he would be like, watch for this four count and start the song in the middle of it. Or um, we would, we would work on breaks. So we would do like a crowd chant in the middle of the song. So I'd have to take a track, split it in half, make a whole new track and then start the second part of the song as soon as Ray would count me in. Gotcha. Um, Depending how long that chant went just by the feel of it. So it's kind of organic. Right. right. So we have wow. two computers running um, and you can trigger it with one simple or simple button, almost like a pedal, like a single okay. switch pedal. And um, you run it through a switcher and a bunch of other audio equipment. You can send it to front of house and to monitors and then they can divvy it up from there. So, it ends wow. up being really helpful for bands that don't have the ability to have a full band or all the instruments they have on the record or just to keep the drummer. Sometimes it's just for the drummer. Sometimes it's just a click track. Um, okay. But you can run video and lighting and everything through the playback system so everything can be automated. Gotcha. I always wondered how that worked because, yeah. you know, you see like bands play live and then all of a sudden you hear a flute or an oboe or something weird like that. And you're like, Hey, where is that? And I don't see an oboe on the stage, but, um, yep. and, and you, I knew it would be like something in the background, but, uh, 
but that's that's what that is right is that that's mm-hmm. the okay yep the wow. backing track so like it's it's a really interesting conversation to have with musicians because a lot of people say it's cheating um i'm not one of those people obviously it was a playback tech so i'm not against it i like all natural better because it kind of shows um the band playing together so if there is um higher tempos and parts and lower tempos they follow each other so there's a good flow right the issue with having a click is you all have to be exactly on and if you're not there have been situations where i've had to stop the tracks before and that there's an abrupt situation in the middle of the set that at least us with our in-ears notice like the crew and the band but hopefully out front there's a, enough masking with the the audio that you can't hear it but that's one flaw i would say with running tracks is you can't ever be off ever you can't so have a natural flow with your set you know so is that like a technical problem when the system fails in the play and the playback stops or maybe someone gets off and you just have to abort the playback plan and let them go just all natural it's when it's when one of the musicians uh, specifically the drummer who kind of sets the tone for everything gotcha if he's off um I, i've had them look at me and say cut the tracks because it's off even by like a beat or two. Okay. Um, but no, that's why you have a redundant system. So when I say that, that means A and B computer are running simultaneously. If you're looking at it from a side view, mm-hmm. they're going at the same time. So if A shuts down, B activates. Okay. Wow. And then by the next song, hopefully you can reset the A computer, find out what's going on with it, and okay. get it back on track. Wow. Triple yeah. out, dude. Yeah, I never, I never knew that. I, I, huh. And so does that have anything to do with like the in-ear monitoring like a singer listening to himself or, or the other musicians <clears throat> listening to monitoring or is that totally separate? It's totally separate. I mean, it is involved because the audio, um, once it's set, it depends on how many outputs you have, mm-hmm. um, from playback, but because, uh, nowadays there's so many different options to have a lot of outputs. Um, you can have every backing track go to the monitor guy and then the monitor guy can send anybody who has in ears or regular wedges, whatever mix they want. Okay. Obviously, you don't want the click coming through wedges. Sure. Um, but yeah, so it makes it pretty easy for the monitor guy because of all the outputs. But yeah, yeah they're completely separate en- entities. But I know that sometimes monitor guys are also the playback technicians. Um, but it, okay. it can be a lot depending on the band you work for. Corn yeah. only used it for like five or six tracks. The rest were all natural. Okay. Cool. Yeah, certain ones they had special um, things like the audience chant and stuff like that in there to, to keep those tight. Yeah, and okay. they're newer music. They don't have a keyboard player that they used to. Um, they had a guy on stage that just did keys. He wasn't like a band member. He's just a hired gun. Okay. Um, he's not with them anymore. Uh, I think he has another project going on. Okay. But, um, yeah, so that has to be in the backing tracks now. Dude, Korn is one of these bands where I've honestly, like, lost – touch or lost track of corn i used to listen to them in like the late 90s or in the 90s in their early albums like their first like self-titled album or like follow the leader and some of those old school just just ripping ripping songs and ripping albums dude they, they were so badass and uh yeah. i kind of lost track of them as my music taste kind of changed i guess but uh i didn't even honestly know they were still out touring i'm not surprised but they're still doing a lot of new albums and they've been very active in all the time that i haven't been paying attention and um i got some cool shit out there dude are they still the original lineup like john davis still singing and some of those guys or are they all different jonathan davis is still in the band okay. um monkey one of the guitar players head uh he left the band for a little while um he had i think he 
went to rehab and then got sober and then found God. And so he was like doing Christian music oh. and doing conferences and stuff. But then because they were all adults and it doesn't matter what you believe, you can still play music together and get along. He sure. joined the band again. Nice. Um, and then Fieldy is on a break right now. I think he's got a lot of stuff going on with family. Okay. Uh, don't quote me on that. That's just what I've been told. I don't know yeah. any details, but yeah. um, they have a fill-in bass player from Suicidal Tendencies. Oh. His name's Ra. He's from oh. Chile. Great guy. Okay. Great bass player. Um, oh. And then their old drummer, David, quit in 2006 or seven. And then Ray Luzier. I don't know okay. if you know him. No. Or heard of him. He's been their drummer since 2008 or nine. Okay. Great drummer. He played wow. for David Lee Roth and a bunch of others before he joined Korn. Oh, wow. Corn would be a band to play drums for. So I was trip. I was looking at like photos on your Instagram of of the Corn drum kit, and it made me think like, okay, so it's always important that the drums sound good, but Corn's one of these bands where the drums have to like look awesome and scary, and like the the, the aesthetics of the drum kit is super important. Um, I don't know if it's just as important as the sound, but it's definitely like a major factor more so than a lot of bands, right? Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so like symmetry, where you're setting up a drum kit and the two rack toms and all the cymbals, like perfectly symmetrical, very flat, very aesthetically cool looking. But that is not usually the most comfortable like arrangement for the drummer sitting behind the kit. Uh, normally they want to tilt the rack toms to themselves a little bit or maybe something like that or tilt some of the cymbals where, mm-hmm. you know, feel uh, dictates a different layout um, than than the aesthetic symmetry and all that. So is that like a balance that you work with the drummer on, or does he say, this is the way I set my kit up and you mark it and then set it up his way? Or how does that balance between comfort and aesthetic um, play for a band like Korn? Well, uh, Ray's setup is exactly how he wants it. And I think it's developed over time. Um, But he's almost always had a similar setup with two rack toms and at least one floor. Yeah. But now he's working with three rack toms, two floors, one on either side of him. Then he has his main snare, another side snare, a gong drum, some octobons over here. And then he just keeps changing up the cymbal layout. So I think he's finally to a comfortable point where he can add and take away almost anything. He's a very good drummer. Very good drummer. Um, When it comes to his setup comfortability, it's, I think it's more comfort than look. That's why the rack system is the way it is. Okay. It's crazy. It looks like a big spider web, you know, with all these, pieces coming out of it um yeah it's bitching but he he definitely would go for comfort over look but he likes to do weird stuff he even says that he's like i'm weird i'm gonna add this or that every now and then just to change it up but he plays everything that's on his kit wow i mean everything like he makes it a point to make sure he hits every symbol and all the drums almost every song wow um but yeah looks looks are important but not when it comes to the flow of your playing because He's an active drummer and their newer music. If you get a chance to listen to it, I think 2019, an album called the nothing really good, really heavy. I was super impressed that they still have it in them, you know, cause they've been doing this for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then their last album Requiem just came out. It's been number one in rock charts for a while now. Sick. Yeah. So they're killing it. Wow. Yeah. I got to jump that, back that, in that, and check more of it out. You yeah, should. The, 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 I mean, I'm talking to two drummers here, so it's probably a little bit biased, but um, the drummer really is kind of the center of the band, right? Absolutely, I mean, that for di- sure. dictates the, in- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, 
Well, I mean, definitely you guys dictate the timing and everything, but I mean, what about just the, uh, I don't know, the, the feeling and just, uh, uh, you guys seem to carry all the weight of, um, I don't even know what word I'm looking for. The spirituality. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I think uh, I know what you're asking. Um, yeah. so audibly the drums are very important. Yes. Visually, they take up most of the space on stage. There was a joke with a couple of guitar buddies of mine. That's why they used to do Walls of Cats when they used to do big rock shows. As a guitar player, has had ego issues because the drummer always had his own 8x8 riser, and uh-huh. they only had a little spot for their pedals. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I would say, in my opinion, and I don't know if you guys agree, but the drummer's in the back. And we are the backbone of the beat and making sure that everyone stays where they need to be. And a lot of times, depending on the size of the band, the drummer is the musical director. Um, so he's in charge of coordinating like um, the orchestrations for the live show, helping put everything together in the studio to make sure it makes sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think the drummers don't get enough credit, in my opinion, because singers and guitar players are out front. They're doing the solos. They're doing the singing. That's what people see. And they do most of the interviews. So it's refreshing to see because Ray Ray does a lot of interviews and stuff. He's really active, so I think he takes it um, more seriously. And some of the other drummers are just like, "Whatever, I play drums, pay me." Yeah, but yeah. Ray's not like that. So. No, I to- I totally agree. Um, I think yeah, it's easy to get caught up in the front men because they're in the front as as the primary personalities or or names in a band or whatever. But um, mm-hmm. drummers play such a crucial role, whether or not they make themselves prominent or are outspoken, even if they're just, you know, just doing their thing, they're, they're such a crucial part of the, of the music and the stage presence and the feel and just the, the, the vibe, uh, that you're pumping into a crowd or, or even a studio recording, um, mm-hmm. that, yeah, it's definitely an underrated, uh, instrument. And it's fun to see bands that, that put a drummer a little more front and center, um, I used to love the way Metallica would do certain stage shows where they would have all four of them virtually around like kind of a semicircular stage or whatever, where Lars is out there right in the front uh, mm-hmm. on his little section. I thought that was really cool. I also thought that would be kind of hard not to be in the standard rear position, watching the other musicians from behind, at least seeing their movements because you learn to like kind of read everyone's vibe or movement or, or I don't know, some of it does depend on visual and, uh, being out in front would mean I couldn't see everybody that well. And that might be a little tough, but I guess you'd get used to it. Yeah, that probably would. I mean, the first show I did with Greta was in Vegas and we played right before Metallica. It was, Oh wow. So we had an opener, wow. us and then Metallica. It was, um, one hell of a first show. I'll say that. Wow, I think it yeah. might've been like 60,000 people at Allegiant stadium. Wow. Um, yeah, it was crazy, but I agree. They moved Lars kit really far up to the front mm-hmm. um and That's then they cool. just had some cabs on stage and it was empty besides that with video walls in the background oh wow but that crowd i've never seen a crowd saying every single word it was nuts wow metallica's fans are hardcore dude it's crazy that greta van Fe- fleet is playing shows like that so soon um that's that's really cool yeah man they're on the rise and we have um dates in south america with metallica this year and wow. then we have two more stadium dates in the fall um, with the same lineup, same opening band called Ice Nine Kills, Greta Van Fleet, and then Metallica. So it's pretty cool. I guess I, they really like them. I would imagine that, that their style of music um, would be a a really desirable uh, opening-ish kind of a band for a massive name like a Metallica or someone like that. 
Because that's really the kind of vibe that you want, opening the show and just really kind of opening people up, making it this really communal, rocky, just kind of feel-good rock start to the gig, and then comes on the the face-melting metal band or just the the iconic Metallica, you know, and all that. But what a great start to a show. What a fun way to kick it off and bring everyone together. That that vibe is so, um, like, communal again. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and a lot of people don't really know much about Greta. Like you said, you hadn't heard of them. Dude, yeah. I was and, embarrassed. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I mean, they're on the rise, right? They aren't yeah. already there. Like the bands that I've worked for in the past, people are like, oh, wow, that's a big name. Sure. Yeah, but they kind of always have been there, right? These guys are like this. So it's kind of interesting to watch, but they can play. That's something I, I keep telling people. They're really good musicians. So wow. a lot of people are like, oh, we just see these these young guys in like interesting clothing. Um, but no, they're, they're doing well with it. They're really, really good at what they do. And I see why, uh, they're doing so well with like the writing and their records and stuff. Yeah. Cause they're really good at what they do. How did the gig with Greta Van Fleet come about for you? How do gigs come about for you? I'm kind of curious about like the work of a drum tech, especially one who works for different bands all the time, different genres, different bands. Are you hired by the band or the label or like the drummer himself or how does it work? It changes with each, with each group. Okay. So um, when I worked with Korn, uh, I guess I'll, I'll rewind back um, to Marilyn Manson. So I started working with him in 2019. Um, their production manager just so happened to be a friend of one of my network buddies who's a drummer in another band. Um, so he just threw my name in the hat cause I was looking for a gig. Okay. Cause I had done drums and playback for all the remains, but their okay. playback isn't as complicated as the systems that I got into, uh, with Manson and so on. Um, it was just one laptop with pro tools pushing play. They didn't have me edit anything. They had their engineer get it all set up before the tour. I was okay. just in charge of cues. Um, so yeah, when I got the phone call to try out for, or not try out, but like have a phone interview for, the Manson gig. Um, I was surprised that it was happening, but once I got to that level, I realized the network is actually a lot smaller than you'd think. The music industry is a big industry, but you'll have a guy that has worked for Metallica go work for like Luke Bryan. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You would be like, why? Because it's all the same on the teching side, really. Um, The music matters for those backline guys that really are doing it for the music, but when it comes to the regular kind of jobs in the industry doesn't matter who you work for as long as you work. So, yeah, right. Um, the Manson gig, it was cool. Uh, he had seen that I hadn't really done that level yet. Um, but after the first few festival gigs went down and they went really smoothly, um, it was kind of right there for me, which is great. So then I just basically networking is how I've gotten to where I'm at. But sure. I had to do the van and trailer tours, work for smaller bands, network with them. That's when the band hired me directly. And then when you get to higher levels, um, production managers are usually in charge of hiring backline guys. But okay. every now and then you'll have a band be like, this has been my drum tech for forever. So you're going to take him. Gotcha. You know what I mean? When they're setting everything up for the tour, it's just like, so here's my guy for this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so getting so, Marilyn Manson under your belt kind of opened up uh, a lot of doors for you. I would imagine oh, yeah. just the name itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of doors. Um, so during the pandemic, since everything kind of got canceled, um, tour-wise, we had a lot of tours booked with um, 
who were we with? So Manson was supposed to be busy in 2020 because he came out with a new album at the beginning of 2020, um, which is really an interesting album. If you guys haven't listened to it yet, it was, it was interesting. Um, had some really cool songs on it. But I honestly wasn't um, the biggest fan of his. I just knew it was a good opportunity. Yeah. Um, I met him a few times and I respect him. He's actually a normal dude from my experience personally. Yeah. Um, it's a gimmick kind of thing, in my opinion, on stage, you know? Theater, like, it's a show yeah. persona. Yeah, 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 it totally makes sense. I'm sure he doesn't, like, go to the bank that way, you know? Right, right. So 2020 was, basically the whole year was going to be a full world tour with Ozzy. Wow. And got canceled because of the pandemic. And then Marilyn Manson got canceled because of cancel culture. I don't know if any of that's true. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard anything about that, but no, no, basically like he was getting hammered for doing something or saying something. No. Um, I mean, you can find it anywhere on Google, so I guess okay. it's okay for me to say some of it, but I guess some of his, uh, ex fiancés and girlfriends came out and said that he was abusive. Oh, well, um, yeah. in a not, not good way. So he got canceled. His label dropped him. Management okay. dropped him. My production manager and I were in talks during the pandemic. I was like, when this goes away, do I have a gig? He was like, no, you need to look for a gig because it looks like he's not going to be gigging anymore. And I was right. like, okay. So that's when everybody um, was either, you know, trying to do unemployment, finding new, new jobs. Some people left the music industry completely um, just because it's, it's a scary situation to um, have it taken away like that. You know, you have a whole year or two booked when it comes to work. Yeah. And then, because of a pandemic, you can't work anymore. Anybody in the entertainment industry, not just music. I totally understand. Cause I mean, we rely on people. Sure. If you can't be around people, we don't really have a gig. You yeah. Know? And your whole thing is live shows and they just disappear. Not only like within a region, like, Oh, we can't, you know, tours or, or shows are done in the United States. It's the entire planet. So there's nowhere you can go. There are no shows anywhere. It just literally like it, it goes away overnight it's unprecedented. There's never been anything to compare it to. It's never happened before with live music. I mean, the last one in 1918 or whatever, there certainly wasn't world tours going on for the most part. Um, so, no, but I bet there's theater shows and stuff got canceled, well, you know? Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess there, there would have been shows, Broadway and all that kind of stuff, that people relied on those for their living. That just kind of goes away instantly. I, who knows what to do and how long to expect it to last? And, okay, well, what the hell do right. I do now, you know? Um, right. What, what did you do? Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I kept the network going. I would always be in contact with all my tech buddies or bands or artists that I've played with, um, just to make sure that if anything was going to happen, they would let me know, yeah. we, you know, this, the network, we all kind of encouraged each other. Um, some people got jobs that aren't necessarily what they want to do. Um, I know my monitor guy now, he went and worked at Lowe's. Yeah. Um, not ideal, but do what you got to do. Uh, so yeah. what I did. I had uh, worked in construction on and off in between tours almost the whole time I've done music because I started doing music again in 2015. Uh, long story, but I stopped for about six or seven years when I was married. So I started touring when I was like 20, did that for a couple of years, got married, stopped for about six or seven years, split up um, with her, and then almost immediately got back on the road. But okay. that's when I started teching instead of playing more. Gotcha. Um, anyway, so... Uh, with construction, I had a decent truck and um, I used it to carry my tools and ladders and stuff. So I sold that because during the pandemic, I don't, I don't know if you guys have heard that, but trucks were like a hot commodity for some reason. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's still tough to buy. Because production, yeah, 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 production yeah. slowed down in factories. So 
I sold my truck and was able to make enough profit to buy a dump trailer and then leased a different truck to pull it. And I started a small dump trailer business. Nice. So I would do hauling for construction companies, um, trash hauling or moving, jo- moving jobs for people, stuff like that. It kept me pretty busy. So yeah. It was cool. And then besides that, I moved pianos for a piano moving company okay. in Dayton, Ohio. Wow. Uh, so we, we do, I still work with them every now and then if work is slow on the road. Um, they take care of me and I, I show up and work hard for them. So they do like a hundred pianos a week ish. They have five box trucks. And so they deliver them from dealers or if someone sells one or if they're moving, they do all, um, the whole U S. Wow. So, okay. so home, home for you is Dayton, Ohio. That's Dayton, Ohio. Oh, okay. Yeah. Knoxville, Tennessee here. Oh, nice. I like just, Knoxville. just, just South of you. Yeah. Yeah. I love Knoxville as well. Yeah. I think corn is there or they were yesterday actually. Were they really at Knoxville? So. My goodness. Oh, I'm going to have, yeah, I need to set up some kind of Google alert so say. I can see like uh, when people hit Knoxville because it's few and far between. Uh, there, there's yeah, an I'm app. pretty sure. Um, blanking on the name. There, there's an app that's, uh, that'll send you notifications. You can like, you can follow a bunch of bands that you like and tell it where you are and it'll send you notifications when certain bands are booking shows in your area. Um, oh, I need yep. that. Yeah. Yeah. They played there last night. I don't know where some arena. Oh, oh wow. Dude, Nashville's happening, dude. Every band is going to stop in Nashville. Well, it's right? not Nashville. It was Knoxville. Knoxville. Oh, Knoxville. Yeah. Okay. Knoxville's cool. Yeah. I've never been to it, Knoxville. Yeah. yeah. Downtown is great. It, isn't Mark, it? it? Yeah. It's yeah, blowing up. Yeah, downtown. It's, cool. Uh, yeah. I, I love it. I love Knoxville. Such a beautiful city. Yeah, man. So you get to travel around, obviously, all over the place, dude, and go to all kinds of cool cities all over the world. Um mm-hmm. You've been touring since you were like 20, but as a musician first, before you got married and, and stopped kind of touring, you were playing? Yeah. Yep. yep. What, what, and with just one band or a couple bands or what was what was that look like? Um, it was, so my first tour, randomly, I was playing drums in a lot of local bands. And in Dayton, Ohio, there's a huge metal scene. We've had a lot of like heavier bands come out of Ohio, Columbus, Dayton, Cincinnati, and some from Cleveland too. Um, I don't know why, it's just Midwest likes heavy music, I guess. Hmm. Um, but I did my first tour as a merch guy, actually, for uh-huh. a band called the Devil Wears Prada. Um, mm-hmm. they were friends of ours and their merch guy quit last minute. I'd never been on a tour, so I hopped on the bus, did a yeah. tour with them and then networked from there. And, um, that tour was only two or three months. Then I came home, kept doing a lot of local stuff, some regional stuff. And then that following spring or following winter, I got asked to fill in for a band called My Children, My Bride. They're like a hardcore heavy metal band from Alabama. Okay. Um, and we were doing a tour with Azalea Dying and then a headlining tour. So then I started touring with them, doing a lot of playing. Um, and that was cool for a little while. And then met the future ex-wife and um, started working in construction again because it was more practical. And mm. there was an ultimatum there um, to to not tour yeah. or, or be with her kind of thing. It was a choice and I chose her and, you know, we had some good times for a while. Yeah. Uh, but definitely felt the draw to music every single year. It never went away. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I started to play more towards the end of our relationship and I realized that's what I need to do. Mm-hmm. So when that ended, it was like divorced in August on tour in September. That's wow. how fast it was. Wow. Uh, so my network, 
was a Cincinnati, Columbus, Dayton area hardcore scene network. And my buddy Aaron Patrick, uh, his nickname is Bubble, he was tour managing a band called All That Remains. And they were needing a drum tech. So it just so happened that they called me and I started working for them. I worked on and off for them for about four years. They're badass, dude. I've listened to some All That Remains yeah. and they are uh, like, dude, that drummer is incredible. It's like super tight, super like mm-hmm. just machine gun beats, but so mm-hmm. precise and technical. Um, it's impressive how you can play that clean, that fast. Um, yeah. What kind of a kit does that Jason. guy play? Jason Costa is his name and he plays Tama drums. Wow. Um, he's switched back and forth between um, his main kit was a Babinga Star Classic. Mm. Um, if you've ever heard of it, Babinga wood, it's like a warm tropical wood. Yeah. So it's got really good tones to it. Um, but then he, he kept going back to a maple star classic kit. Just, just Um, super standard. Yeah. Yeah. 20 inch kick. Uh, I think it was 10, 10, 12, 16 for toms and then pretty simple, simple setup. But, um, was it like, I would say his Babinga kit. Was it like really, a deep cannon style kick? The 20 inch kick drum, was it deep or just like 18 deep? You know, you see some of those 18. that are virtually square, like 20 by 20 or 22 by 22 or whatever. Right. No, this one was uh, standard. So it was just 20 by 18 because yeah. he actually has a regular Tom mount. It wasn't a virgin kick drum. Oh. So an old school Tom mount with the yeah. Toms above his kick drum. Nice. Yeah. Old school drummer, even plays traditional, by the way. Wow. While he's blasting. Wow. Wow. Tri- Pretty wild. That is crazy. Yeah. Did he play double kick drum or double kick pedal? Double kick pedal. Okay. Single single kick drum. Single yeah. kick drum, double pedal. You, you, you know what we mean by that, right, Derek? Remember, I've always played that way. I've always had one kick drum with just like a double yeah. pedal where you can do double bass, but you're playing double bass on one drum. Yeah, and I always thought that was like exclusively punk, but um, I guess it's not, huh? Sometimes no. You get... No. Um, drums are big and unwieldy and especially if you're touring a uh, whole second kick drum that's a lot of space in a van you know <laughs> you gotta be really dedicated <laughs> yeah yeah uh or have a big trailer because yeah i mean yeah. you really want to try to be uh, uh economic with space because drums are just so many parts and so much space dude um dude that, that kind of go ahead i would say that two kick drums is, is the opposite of punk rock punk rock is like Less is more kind of idea, right? Some yeah. some punk rock drummers only use a single bass drum pedal too, and it's insane how fast their feet are. It really like is incredible. One foot is doing like doubles. Yeah, yeah, I I I can do that, but they're so much cleaner with a double kick. I've always played with double kick, and I like doing like little double flurries, like the kind of thing, really quick. Even mm-hmm. if you're not doing like a straight double bass beat, I love double bass like yeah. uh, having it there. Um, but it is cool to see some punk drummers, yeah, that are just ripping it with one pedal. And you're like, damn. I could still yeah. hear your uh, your double kick drum right now, Mike. The do, 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 do. <laughs> you would always do that. I I, yeah. I would follow Mike uh, when he was in his band, uh, Good vs. Evil, and uh, yeah, Mike really has a great presence in drums. I mean, I can't tell you how many times just watching their shows, somebody from the audience next to me or something. Man, you guys see that drummer? So Mike Mike really loves to uh, hit it hard and uh, loves the double kick pedal and. Uh, um, really uh, carries that band. That's awesome. Well, yeah. it's just so much fun. Um, you, you know, like in 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 your bands, David. Were, did you always try to be a presence? You know, uh, you, you know what I mean. Like, like you, you mm-hmm. can just kind of be kind of a a, a kind of in the shadows drummer and doing your thing and still ripping it. 
Um, but I was just really enjoyed like trying to be an active member of the presence of the of the band and the stage presence, you know, a part of it. And it, it's just fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, a lot when I was younger, too. Um, it's hard to get that flair back once you've taken a long break. But yeah. um, I finally gotten back to that, I feel like. But yeah, a lot of dick tricks, headbanging, singing the lyrics with the band and the, you know, even if I don't have a mic, all of that is really important. Sure. But also being able to like lay into the groove and really just be part of the music too is really, as I get older, I'm more on the feel side of it than yes. I used to be about like the heavy headbanging side of it. Maybe it's my age because no, I get a headache if I headbang too much. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a good place to be progressively because really, and that's something I was honestly never that great at is just staying in the pocket. I would get too, um, too rolly and just too many fills and all that just because it's fun. But really what's best for the music is to stay in the pocket sometimes and just not get too fancy and let the bu- let the music breathe, let the beat be the beat. Um, mm-hmm. So that was something I never really acquired. Uh, I would give in to just the, the, the selfish urge to just kind of go nuts all the time, you know? I get it. But well, so, some songs are like that too, like uh, the, the band Live, you know, um, Chad, uh, I forgot what his name was, but yeah, he really makes a special ambiance in that. And in, in that band, and some songs are really centered around him. Um, I, I just live live was like one band that really changed the way I looked at drums uh, because it wasn't just about when they hit the drum. They have like a spatial ability in there where when they don't hit the drum, it's like very uh, significant to you. It's kind of hard to explain without listening to the songs, but no, it's not hard to explain. I know exactly what you're talking about. So yeah, yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to get a lesson from one of my favorite drummers during the pandemic. My girlfriend bought me a lesson from Chris Coleman. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. Um, not really super famous in like the regular world of music, but in the world of drumming, he is up there. He's one of the best in my opinion. Um, I think he plays for Beck currently, um, played for a lot of gospel artists. Um, but he mostly is known for doing like conferences. So he's sponsored by Sonar and Minel. So they'll do these big drum festivals and he'll be like one of the headlining drummers hmm. and they feature him playing like certain drums and he does like a little breakdown lesson kind of thing for people to, to learn how he plays. Oh, um, that's cool. But yeah. He's just one of the best drummers. But anyway, him and I did like an hour and a half lesson where we didn't really play. We mostly talked. And one of the biggest things that he, that I've, I've always thought of because Benny Greb talks about it too. Another really well-known drummer. Um, that breathing, not only physically as a musician or a drummer specifically, but in the music. So you're talking about breaks that are actually sometimes more important, but you don't think about it because you're like, oh, there's a gap there. I need to hit something or I need mm-hmm. to play something. Right. But really, if you let it breathe, just give it that one extra second and then come in on like a one and on the and or you know, on the second, a lot of times those kinds of things stick out to be like, holy, you know, this guy's yeah. in the pocket and that just grooves, you know, Yeah, you got to let it breathe. But mm-hmm. breathing is super important. And I noticed that when I was younger in my playing, um, maybe at the end of a fill, right? You speed it up or when you come back in, you're off a little bit because you're not breathing. Your oxygen is actually stopped from getting to your brain, right? And so he explained that to me and I didn't even think about it in too much depth until after that. So I think breathing with your physical, actual breath and the music is huge. Huh. Interesting. So yeah, that's, that's like a advice. natural flow. 
mm-hmm. tying into the breath. Uh, boy, that that couldn't make more sense. Um, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Wow. Were yeah. you and Danny with Greta? He has the perfect amount of breath in some of his playing. Like it's it's pretty awesome to see. He's only twenty three. Wow, that impresses me. I was <laughs> I was nuts at twenty three. Anything but structured or disciplined or anything really we would just play shows for an opportunity to get hammered yeah <laughs> i understand you know How, what kind yeah, of kid does does danny with greta van, Pee- van fleet play um so he actually ended up getting the 70s ludwig Sick. um Dude, is one of the clear ones? online no no it's not a it's not a Vista light it's um an olive and blue badge i think um, I don't have the serial number in front of me. I don't think it's that. Those important. are big kicks, aren't um, they? Like a twenty-two or a twenty-four inch kick. Twenty-four by fourteen. Oh wow, wow! And it sounds a lot better than you'd think. It sounds wow. great. Wow. Um, and we're using concert toms. Okay. Um, and Derek, you probably don't know what that means, but um, I can explain it. Yeah. In orchestra, a lot of the time they have big toms set on stands, so when people are standing up, almost like um, quads for marching band, but bigger, mm-hmm. there's no bottom head. There's not even lugs for it. So we are using a 14 by 13 inch rack, which is huge, 16 by 15 inch floor, and an 18 by 16 inch floor. Wow. None of them have bottom heads. Wow. So and mics, it sounds great. Mics, up, mics underneath? No, mics on top. Oh, wow. It's honestly like one of the most interesting sounding kits, but um, when we were getting everything together for this tour, he had bought that kit um, and he was like, I don't know if it's going to work. Can you go through it and see if we can get different heads to see if it'll work? So I actually ended up having to get all new hoops for the top heads, all new tension rods. Um, I took apart every single lug, stripped everything out on the inside, relubed all the screws, um, basically a full detailing of the entire kit. Wow. Once I did that, we went through three different rounds of um, drum heads. So we did Remo with a power dot. We did Remo ambassadors, and then we did Remo emperor coateds. And that's what we ended up going for. Emperor coateds, the coated yeah. heads just nice and they thick. sound great with no bottom heads. Yeah, keep some of the resonance down, that kind of thing. Those are heavy heads. Mm-hmm. So after doing all that maintenance on it, we can get some of the best tones I've heard out of an old Ludwig kit. And that wow. kick drum just... It's really interesting because I'm a huge fan of a porthole on mm-hmm. the out, like the Rezo head. He doesn't have one. What? And it still sounds massive. Yeah, we have a Kelly shoe system. I know a lot of this might be foreign language to you, Derek. Oh, it's um, okay. <laughs> the, the Kelly shoe system is an internal mic system. So every lug on a drum has one or two screws holding it to the actual wood. Right. So you unscrew one of those, and the Kelly shoe system has like a leather strap that you put the screw through and you screw it back in and then you have like black rubber bands to hook to the microphones. The microphones are centered as much as they can be and oh. they don't move or anything because they're, they're rubber banded to the actual screws that hold the lugs on. Wow. So the mic's like suspended right now, inside the drum suspended. with yep. like virtually nothing affecting the resonance yep. of the drum shell itself. Yep. So we cut, um, a lot of people actually drill a hole in the drum. We haven't done that yet to put an XLR. So you Mm -hmm. just have to plug it in. Mm. Uh, so what we've done is through the actual, um, air vent hole, we just spliced it. So we cut the XLR cable, put it through, reattached it. And it plugs right into the 91 is what we're using right now for the kick drum. Wow. It sounds awesome. Dude, that's cool. Mike's got some ideas here. Yeah. Uh, 
I know. What, what, yeah. Yeah. What cool. do you have, Mike? Okay. Uh, Drum miking is an endless uh, journey. There's no like, okay, they're they're mic'd, we're finished. It's like you're nope. constantly tweaking. And for every dude, like for someone like what you're doing, you're playing in different venues all the time. You're not miking a kit in in a studio where the room doesn't change. Your room changes like nightly. So I mean, I, I have imagine, to tune it to the room. Yeah, totally right. So what was that all taking place like in sound check? Like you set it up for what you think would be best for the room, whether it's indoor or outdoor, or small or massive, and then tweak it mm-hmm. in sound check. Yep. Um, so I only deal with the actual drums. When I was younger in the industry, I was in charge of like doing the mic placements and all that. But okay. now we have a monitor guy and gotcha. a front of house guy. And okay. then they have techs as well um, that go up and put everything up. And wow. then they tell them where to tweak. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's depending on the size of the venue, like that first show, the actual soundboard is like two or 300 feet away from the stage. So if he doesn't have a technician up on stage with a radio, he would have to run up and adjust something and run back and check it and run up. And it, it doesn't make any sense. Right. right? So at, at a certain level, it's really important for there to be multiple people helping in certain situations. Same sure. with lighting, right? They have lighting technicians that are on stage and the lighting director is out front. So that's another realm of the industry. People don't understand. They're like, why does it take so many people? And I, I could explain it to you for days, but it still won't be understood unless you see it. Right. That's why I'm really hoping eventually there's a media company that wants to do a full on like roadie either show or movie. And I think it's a great idea. I totally agree. I think it is so interesting and I think it's such a unique and interesting job. And that was mainly why we wanted to have you come on to talk about it. Cause it's fun to talk to people who do interesting things or have interesting jobs or stuff that most people don't think about. And, um, pro teching is definitely one of those things. And then, um, of course I wanted to choose a drum tech because, uh, it's so much more interesting than a guitar tech. That's that's easy. Just pushing a cab out on stage. Come on. But dr- that's drums, hilarious. Drums are so there's so much of an elaborate apparatus, and 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 everyone's drum set is so different. It's not like a guitar where it's like, okay, here's the correct way to tune a guitar. And sure, there's a few different ways to do it based on you know different keys or whatever. But drums, like there's there's no rules to drum setup. Uh, what's included or not included on a drum set, how they're tuned. It's just it's just an unwritten book uh, with no critic. So, I mean, it's it's a really wide-open, um, free thing to be doing. So that's mm-hmm. cool, but also a little overwhelming uh, in a little bit, I imagine. Uh, it was at first. Now I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with, uh, like, my technique. So yeah. the, guy, the guy they had before, because they – they're getting to a level where they all are now having their own techs before they had like a backline tech that did all the backline. Okay. Um, they had multiple other people working with them, but because the crews are smaller, it made more sense financially to only have one person that set up the keyboards, the organs, the bass, the drums, and then they had a guitar tech as well. Okay. Guitar teching. I liked what you said. Cause it is funny cause drum techs are always just like, I, ah, it's just a drum tech. Right. Cause we're not as technically savvy, which I don't think is true, no. but we're seeing that way from guitar techs all day long. Cause they have to tune, change strings and fix the intonation on the guitar. And uh, you're like, they don't think I know what these words mean, but I do. Right. You're like, Oh, you have six strings. That's cute. <laughs> this has 86 pieces. Right. Man. So when it comes to how many pieces, it's definitely a whole different ball game, but no, I, I know there's tuning bots people can get to actually tune your drums to a note. Never used them. Mm. Drum dial to make sure that each tension rod is the exact same tension. Never use those. 
I've never even tried to do a pitch. I do every drum is all natural tuning. I do a flat tuning. I push my finger in the middle of the head. I well, first all the tension rods are are tightened finger tight, and I break the head around the rim to get the glue broken every single time. How do you do and that? I you push, just like push down on it with your fist, kind of thing. Yeah, I don't have one with me, but I use my my fingers okay. and I just spin the the drum head probably counterclockwise and I just break the edge. So I push it in almost fully backwards. Okay. And it, you can hear it crackling because yeah. it's aluminum, plastic, and rubber glued together. Mm-hmm. So you want that glue to break. So you know when people are like standing on drums, you've seen that before probably, or yeah. like push into it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do that. You just break the, the edge before you even put the head on. Okay. Um, but then I push in the center of the drum with only a finger tightening with all the tension rods. And then I just tune it flat. So there's ripples when you push on a head when it's loose. Mm-hmm. Each tension rod, I just tune it so you don't see a ripple. That's it. And and that's it. Like there's no fine tuning after that. If you take your finger off, then you know hitting it and just tuning it by ear. Like so that that's, that's if, the drum tuned, huh? Yep. Yeah, if you do have to do anything after that, it's because the hoop or the actual drum is either not true, like not a perfect exact ring. Right? There might okay. be some unevenness or there's debris in the way and that's okay. people might fight me on that but all the sound guys i've wow. worked with say the tuning sounds great so well and then we're touring drums are getting you know loaded unloaded loaded unloaded banged around dropped whatever um rolling around in the underbelly of a hopefully tour not. bus hopefully not <laughs> yeah so like the, the, you know edges no, we are getting have, we have a semi now all that kind of shit are you able to like recut bearing edges on tour or how does that happen if a drum if a drum is damaged What's what's that look like? Luckily, I've never had. Well, I take that back. Um, there, there was one issue I had with corn. The story's pretty crazy. So, um, when it comes to bearing edges, it's not really ideal for a bearing edge to get hurt or damaged in tour. And if it does, hopefully you have a replacement. Because um, depending on the drum, it's really hard to redo a bearing edge sure. without making the top uneven. Okay. Um, if you stand up, down yeah. one side, the other side will have to come down too. But uh-huh. then you're looking at a different, different um, distance from where the actual tension rod holds the hoop on. Yeah. So then you're going to get a different tone. It really is pretty important for them to stay pretty true to okay. the original build. Um, but when I started working with Corn, we did two or three festivals, and then a couple weeks off, and then we went straight into a tour. We met in Florida for production rehearsal, and the semi got into an accident. The driver oh. was okay, um, but the the gear wasn't. We had a cannon case that holds like all these confetti cannons that shoot confetti at the end of the show. Oh wow! That case was completely like smashed in half, and this is like a eight foot by four foot deep case that's about five feet tall. To give you an idea of how bad the wreck was. Wow! It was a road case, a really big road case. Yeah, yeah, those... that was completely smashed. Wow. And Ray's drums live on a riser. I split them in half, and the drums were really, really damaged, really bad. So he was using two 24-inch, 24-by-24-inch acrylic kick drums, huge oh. kick drums, custom. Oh. Yeah. One of the kick drums had a hole that was probably 8 to 10 inches um, in diameter, just punctured into it from the wreck. The other one had a crack that was about a foot and a half. Um, the drum rack was a DW drum rack, really good quality four or five of the bars were completely bent into V's. Oh my God. Um, a bunch of drum clamps that you'd think would be able to hold and withstand anything were just like someone went like this and just broke them in half. Wow. So that was 
day one of a tour and started my first tour with corn. Wow. So, um, I was in the middle of rebuilding their playback system, which was a stress in itself. Um, and <laughs> they're just then, like, you know, hey, my production David, manager, fix, fix us up, will you? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my, so my production manager, <laughs> dude, it was rough. So he texted me the night before. He's like, I don't want to freak you out. I was like, why would you do this at midnight? We have to be there at 7am tomorrow. What are you doing? Um, and he sent me a picture. He was like, I don't have any pictures of the other drums, but oh you're, this is what you're coming into. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. So that next day, um, you know, trying to do what I could, can to research what kind of glue I could use to re-adhese this stuff. And I was just like running into all these dead ends. So I found this epoxy and I tried to glue it back together. And in the process of that, one of the stagehands suggested I check out this plastics company because we were in West Palm Beach. And I was like, okay. So I gave him a call and I was like, hey, I'm working with this like quarter inch thick acrylic drum kit. And he was like, oh, we do acrylic windshields all the time for boats. Bring it in. I was like, okay, sick. So we took both kick drums to this place. Um, we stripped off the glue I used because it was the wrong glue. Um, and then this guy fixed both kick drums and all he wanted was a couple ticks to the show and like a pair of drumsticks. And wow. Wow. they hooked it up, dude. And they gave me like a little repair kit with like the proper acrylic glue and little... Wow. Um, I, I had like these little strips of quarter inch um, acrylic and he gave me those and I would, you know, use a knife and splice them and I would, I made stitches along the drums. So it actually looked kind of creepy and weird and it kept the kick drums together for that whole tour. We didn't get new kick drums until like a week before the tour was done. Wow. wow. Yeah. That was insane. I, I have pictures of it, but it wouldn't do justice if I just held it up to the that's thing, gotta but. go on your resume right there. I was just gonna say, uh, yeah, yeah I mean at the end of that, that that's really like a valuable experience to kind of say, Oh, here's something I was faced with, here's how we fixed it, and we continue with the tour. Like, wow, that's actually a success story. Yep. Wow. Um, so going back to the question you had a long long while back, the production manager for Korn and the stage manager and his assistant, um, they're part of like Paul Binder is his name, he's a production manager, really good guys, worked with everybody. He no longer worked for Corn, so I worked with him when I was with Corn, and then he um, left, and now he's doing Greta Van Fleet. Oh, okay. And so cool. as soon as they found out they needed a drum tech, and it didn't work out with me working with Corn, he was like, "I want you." So wow. I was like, "Sick, give it a shot." I'm still nice. friends with Ray from Corn. Sure. That situation, I don't really have any answer about why it didn't work out. Yeah. I think it was a management thing, mm -hmm. which is. I have no idea. Ray was apologetic and was just like, I'm sorry it didn't work out. And I was like, I am too. I thought we had something good going, but on to the next, you know, you can't yeah. dwell. Yeah. It wasn't performance-based, I'll tell you that. I think it was political. There, there are so many uh, decision makers that are kind of off the scene in this industry, I imagine, that sometimes it's just kind of, you know, uh, kind of beyond understanding. And like you said, off to the next gig. Like, it doesn't really benefit you to sit and wonder why 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 just kind of like okay well instead of why like what's next right well it was a bummer i'm not gonna oh yeah I'm totally a solid rock and i wasn't upset for a couple of days but for sure in in that same realm instead of complaining or saying bad things about anybody i just went straight to my network and started reaching back out and that's how a couple other gigs were a possibility but the spread of van fleet thing just seemed like the right choice yeah yeah nice yeah, yeah it sounds like it sounds like a fun yeah. one and, and a band to certainly uh, like a hell of a tour, obviously, just this one, but but a band certainly on on the rise, um, and maybe more opportunity there, and certainly more networking opportunities. It sounds like networking is like a really key thing, obviously, from beginning to end, 
getting new gigs, mm-hmm. hooking up with new production companies or bands or drummers. And, and, uh, um, that sounds like a big element of what you do. hundred percent. And experience is, is really important. So mm-hmm. a couple people have asked, like, do you have a degree in drum teching? I said, no, that, that doesn't exist. The degree is tour is yeah. the road, right? That's how you learn it. Well, there's no blueprint um, for what you do. It's not like they're posting ads for drum techs on like Indeed or something. So it's not like, oh, I'd like to break into this industry. I'll go take a uh, uh, a six-week trade course, and then I'll go apply for all of these different drum teching postings out there that you find. Like, none of that exists. Right. So nope. like, well, what would you recommend or what skills are required for someone starting in this industry, aside from knowing people, but assuming you get an offer or you have the opportunity, like, do you need to be – super trained in drum you know music reading or or i mean what what skills would you say would be essential to getting started in the industry uh, if you're looking to tech or play i'd say tech um for teching i would say it's it's 100 percent network but you have to be willing to work and almost do anything sure so i know actually a couple drum techs um the guy i filled in for for rob zombie steve-o Really good drum tech. He's worked for a lot of bands. Bush, I think he's with Stone Temple Pilots now. Mm. Um, but either way, he actually is a carpenter too. So carpenters are a thing needed for certain size tours. They help with all the stage builds. They help with all the risers. Oh. They help with actually um, building props for stage and stuff. Um, and it's really important to have. They can help you build out cases that need extra compartments, stuff like that. Um, it's really a central role because they have all the tools you need and they're there to help like do anything. So if you can do multiple jobs, you'll always be able to find a gig on tour. That makes so I would sense. say be willing, be willing to work and don't be lazy. And those are, those are big, but I would say one of the biggest, even from the guys that have been doing this as long as I've been alive, that I have the pleasure to work with being able to hang is huge. And I'm not talking about getting drunk or like anything like that. I'm just talking about like sitting on the bus and being able to have conversations with your coworkers. Cause like we live together yeah, for weeks and months at a time. If you're going to be, you know, weirdo or you can't hang or have conversation or just like are solo all the time, that's going to be noticed. And I don't, I know that there's like, um, different friend groups in like any kind of industry. Sure. You don't have to be part of the popular friend group. You just got to be friendly and be able to travel and get along with people can't be difficult you got to show up on time you got to be able to work but the hang is super important yeah that's, that's like so. another interesting layer or, or part of it that i didn't really think about a whole lot is is yeah that part's probably crucial because like you said you're virtually living together and not living together in spacious quarters but you're living together in like really confined spaces a lot of times and long trips on a bus and hotels and yeah. and uh um yeah i didn't really think about that but that part does seem super important buses are cool but people that don't really know how touring works don't realize that it's not like everyone has their own bus. Right. Even certain size rock stars don't have their own bus. Like, sure. Um, it's really interesting, but the, the buses are nice and I'm thankful better than a van for sure. Um, but you have normally a normal bus is like 10 to 12 bunks. You have a front lounge and a back lounge and a tour of this size. Most of the bunks are full. So you're riding with 12 other people yeah. or 11 other people, right? On a full bus. Yeah. Um, so that means you all share that bathroom. You all share that kitchen. You all share each lounge. You have to make sure you don't leave your stuff out, right? You can't leave a mess. It's another thing. Mm. Um, hygiene is important because you can smell when someone doesn't shower. You know what I mean? It's, sure. it's, 
a whole different animal getting on a bus. It looks cool. And people are like, oh, I'm on a tour bus. But it's not what you think. I mean, I, I like I said, I'm thankful, but it's not like a party nonstop. Yeah, I'm working yeah. with, you know, we're all normal people. It's just a different way of life. Yeah. Um, and if you can't hang, then you won't last. I will say that. And yeah. people, people learn very fast that tour is like one of the hardest things. Yeah, that um, makes sense. To do. Like, like you hear all the stories of, of big bands in their early days when they're, you know, all crammed in a van and all that. And I mean, everyone can picture how tough that is. But you look at that as like, oh, that's that's the that's the, the dues. And then you make it to big bandom and you're, you know, touring the world in in awesome buses. But even a big ass awesome bus gets pretty damn small when you're sharing it with 11 people. 100 percent. Wow. Yep. I never really pictured that. So maybe like even extra, kind of being a little bit of an extrovert or uh, am, ambivert, whatever the the middle ground is there. Because yeah, I don't know if that would work for me. I, I need like a, I need to huddle up into a room like uh, every few days and just be alone, you know. And, and I imagine you're just always with people all the time. And and Mike is actually uh, strongly uh, extroverted. I would say Mike, uh, where um, like you and me and Mike were uh, roommates for quite some time and boy, we had people over all the time. Uh, so that's nothing new to you, Mike, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I feel like sometimes I'm just like, Oh, put me in a room and get me away from everybody. Yeah. But, I mean, days off are valued for sure. So I get that. Um, but you do have to kind of put yourself out there. Um, and uncomfortable positions will happen. Yeah. Uh, I'm not talking about anything that like, people get sued for. I'm just talking about, um, say you all have to be, uh, at the lobby lobby call is what they call it like 8am. Then we all cram into a shuttle. If we don't like, there's a fly date example. So when we went to Vegas to play with Metallica, everybody had to be in the lobby at 8am. Then we cram into this really small shuttle, small because there's like 15 of us, um, with our bags and gear, go to the venue, um, get the lay of the land, there's a layout for who loads in when, uh, you know, you do staging first, rigging, then lighting, then audio, then backline. Um, and we have pyro on this one. So pyro comes off when backline does because we share a truck. But um, it's, it's a very, who was telling me this? There's a guy, Dave, another Dave. He's a rigger, which means he goes up in the ceiling and hangs all the stuff like the line array speakers and all the lights and all the, the things that hold everything for display, video walls. Um, he was in the Navy, and he said he really likes the style of the music industry when it comes to tour and everything because it has a schedule every day. Right. So m normally, uh, it's very, very much like the military. So you have like catering for your food hall, mess hall, right? Mm -hmm. You go there for breakfast, then you go to your stations to work. Mm -hmm. Then you all go to lunch at the same time. Then you go back to your station. So... Uh it's very calculated and it has to be because so many moving parts. So this tour currently, if I'm correct, I think we have six or seven semis. Wow. Dang. Um, full Damn, of, gear, of gear. And then one, yeah, one of those is merch. Um, and then obviously multiple buses because of how many people are working. Sure. Um, so it's a, it's a, a, a big thing even for, like we're doing smaller arenas, but these kids are selling the, these places out. Um, wow. They're on the rise, man. It's really cool to see. But man, yeah, that's a hell of a so many moving dude. parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but it, it's really cool. And um, I've still worked with people that are introverted and it does work. Um, you just kind of, you got to gauge how they are, you know, you're not going to sure. bombard them with like, good morning. How are you? Like while they're drinking yeah. coffee or something. Right. Uh, right. Which, but yeah, I, I would say the hang is definitely important. So introverts for the most part, you can still tour. You just got to find a comfortable medium of when to be around people or sure. what position to take that will isolate you a little bit more. So like front of house guys are usually way far away from the stage. Yeah. So that could be an easy gig for mm-hmm. that or the tour manager. Most of the time they're in their office mm-hmm. doing a lot of computer work, advancing, booking hotels, booking flights, making sure everybody has what they need. Like mm-hmm. there are positions, um, I would say in any industry, but since we're talking about music, that introverts can still have. Sure. But I know, I know some audio engineers basically just were like, tour isn't for me. I'm just going to do studio work. Yeah. It's way more isolated. You choose yeah. your schedule. Yeah. One band at a time, nice and relaxed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting to, to compare it to the military because it's so antithetical to, I think the picture that most people have of rock stars on tour, it's like, oh, dude, it's just, you know, hookers and blow all the time, and it's just a constant party, and these guys are like free spirits, doing whatever they want, thrashing hotel rooms, you know, rocking the house, and and uh, it's interesting to compare it to the military, because of course it's like that, right? I mean, you're a big group of people who need to get from this spot to this spot at a certain time. You've got a million things that need to come along with you. It's a logistic just complex uh system and uh of course it's regimented but you never really think about uh tour as that way you think of it as just you know a bunch of crazy people just ripping their way through the countryside kind of deal yeah and it's and it's really funny because the whole term roadie is kind of insulting to be honest with you because i've tried to explain it to people because i've done drum videos for years and people know that's like my true passion like i I stumbled into the teching thing and I'm, I'm pretty good at doing that. And I know drums pretty well. That's how I've been able to find success. Sure. Um, and, and I'm pretty relaxed. So even in crazy situations like the corn thing with the drums, everybody else around me is freaking out. I was immediately just trying to figure out how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, you just got to stay calm in those situations. Yeah. But, um, the people that see me going on tour with bands are like, congrats. I'm so happy you're playing for this person. I have to correct them and be like, no, I'm not the drummer. I'm, I'm drum teching. Like, oh, so you like carry drum cases and set them up? Because yeah, that's it. So people think it's that simple. So right. like guitar techs, they think the guitar tech goes from the bus to the venue with a guitar mm-hmm. and just hands them the guitar. Magically, <laughs> it, the amps work and it plugs itself in and it right. tunes itself, right? Right. The drums are just set up when I get in the venue. Yeah. No, there's yeah, so no. much more. And it's, it's frustrating, but I also know like over the years of doing this that it's they just don't know. And like, that's why it, I think it's important to educate people about it. I think it's interesting, too, to to dig into what people do, because I think almost any job is interesting um, to certain degrees, because there's so much more to almost everything than than would meet the eye or than you would assume. I mean, whether it's like, you know, uh, a trash man or whatever. Oh, you just drive around and your little magic arm or your robotic arm just picks up trash cans and dumps it in. I'm sure there's way more to that job than than I know Probably. of. And it'd be cool mm-hmm. to sit down and talk to a trash man, Derek. Make a note of that. We'll, we'll get a trash man on the show and see what's up yeah. with that. Because okay. it's, it's interesting to see how shit works. Um, yeah. And, and uh, dude, so let, let's do that. Let's talk about, like, the process and we'll lay some of that out. Because I mean, there must be a billion steps from getting to one venue to the next. Um, so like mm-hmm. right now you're on an off day, right? You're off all day today. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you're in Michigan? <clears throat> yeah. Right? Okay. Oh, so these yep. are hometown shows for Greta Van Fleet, right? They're from Michigan, or yeah. is this near? Yeah? These are probably extra rare. Yeah, they're, they're from uh, Frankenmuth. Not really sure where that is in Michigan. Nope, me neither. Small town, and I'm pretty sure they named the band after like a legendary older lady from their town. So cool. the Greta thing, when you said oh, you were looking for neat. a girl artist, that yeah. makes sense. Okay, all right. Uh, well, I feel um, less stupid. Still stupid, but I feel less stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, man. Like I said, they're on the rise. And if you don't specifically listen to like one certain genre, um, or if you only listen to one, yeah. and you don't branch out. It's not you're not going to hear every band. Yeah, you don't don't feel bad. Yeah, feel totally. Bad. Um, so so you're in Michigan off day. Mm-hmm. Um, how many more shows in Michigan do you have tomorrow? Tomorrow's a show day. Yeah, tomorrow's a show day. Let me look at my schedule. All right. Um, so. We have a show in Grand Rapids tomorrow. Then we do Saginaw the next day. Then we do uh, Auburn Hills, which is north of Detroit, on Tuesday the 15th. And then we have, so we do one, two, three, four, five, five shows in Michigan after last night's the sixth total. All right. And the experience also of just seeing all these cities, like that that right there is, I mean, and to hear you say that you love Knoxville after seeing basically almost every city in the U.S., um, are there any other cities? And sorry, I, I know I'm kind of segueing here, Mike. I'm just so curious. Just no, like, you're fine. yeah, what 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 other cities like are just that stand out to you that um, that you love? Um, it's definitely not the big ones, and that's something that is different at this level of touring or touring in general. I should say, driving a van and trailer in New York, New Jersey, Atlanta, LA, Chicago, you name the big cities that are super populated with traffic that lasts for hours. Mm. That's a really, really annoying place to be in certain situations. Like I'm from Dayton, Ohio, um, small town, never any traffic. You can always go to the grocery store and there's hardly ever a line. You can always go to a bar or restaurant. There's hardly ever a wait, right? You go to any of these big cities, Nashville's become one of the most insane cities downtown. I never go downtown when I go to Nashville Not anymore. It's just too much. Um, I would say the the slower towns are what I enjoy because when you go to a big city, it costs a lot of money to stay somewhere. It costs a lot of money to get food. Nothing's convenient. Um, if you don't have something within walking distance when you're on a bus, you have to Uber everywhere. Mm-hmm. So nobody really thinks about that. So if you need to go to a pharmacy, pick up a prescription, or if you need to go get groceries or any of that, it's a huge deal. It takes hours because right. of all the moving parts with yeah. it. Um, so touring, you really hope to get everything you need on the bus. And then all you have to do is go from the bus to your hotel room. That's usually not what happens. Um, so yeah, I would say out of the out of the cities in the U.S., Knoxville is really, really cool. Um, Augusta, Georgia is a gorgeous town. Hmm. Okay. Um, Traverse City, Michigan is cool. Um, there's a lot of really cool small towns. I mean, St. Louis, Missouri is a very underrated city. I think they have a lot of cool stuff. Cool breweries. I'm, I'm into breweries. I like to drink beer. Oh, yeah. yeah ditto. It's a great time to be um, a beer enthusiast because, like, so many microbreweries are popping up everywhere. Um, here in Southern California, where I live, they are just like, dude, out in every industrial area one of the suites is is a brewing company and it's really cool because mm-hmm. it's so fun to just go oh let's go check that one out you know get some get some good food and some new beer and and uh this is great well the other thing too with the small town thing kind of fits in the same realm after the pandemic 
I don't know if you guys have noticed, but customer service has gone down. Yeah. Um, when it comes to having customer service. So a lot of places are low staff or the ones that are there just don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. But we have to put up with it is what people say. But that's why I go to breweries. It's hardly ever a bad experience at a brewery. Service is good. Most of the time the food is great. And I like good beer. So, I mean, it's it's frustrating because I used to get made fun of. But now that I take a lot of my friends to go to breweries, it's like a hipster thing. I have a beer to listen to metal and I go to breweries. Um, <laughs> it's just the way it is. But uh, people are realizing when I take them to a brewery on a day off or something, they're like, this is so much better than that restaurant we went to two days ago. And I was right. like, something about the culture. I don't know. That, Brewers that have and, a better culture. And uh, Knoxville as well. Like Knoxville, people don't understand when they come from a big city and they, they come to Knoxville and they go get gas. Like you, you don't get gas and just pay for your your gas and leave you get gas and you have a little conversation with the the gas attendant uh there's there's a lot of uh small town things that are just such huge benefits where people are just so much nicer they'll help you like like I, my wife like gets people help her with her groceries uh putting stuff in her car um i mean it's just it's a completely different feel than these big cities yeah. is very similar to dayton i think that might oh. be why i like it yeah. Okay. Um, besides that, there's, I agree. There's a lot of cool, um, spots. So in Knoxville, I used to go to the concourse or the international a lot. Those venues. Have you okay. been there before? No, uh, I may have, I'm, you know what? I don't know. To be honest with you. Probably okay. No not. worries. Yeah. Cause I worked with a band called Whitechapel. They're like a super heavy metal band. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're from Knoxville and they still, those guys still live there. Oh, Oh, very cool. Okay. Um, so their, their sound guy, Brandon, he works at, uh, the international and I don't know if they changed the name. It's right underneath the bridge near the art district where all those breweries are. I don't know oh, what area it's called. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of brick is, buildings. Yeah. That is a beautiful little area. We, we, I, uh, so, uh, long story short, um, most of my family is from Knoxville and I've lived here on and off through my life, but I actually lived like almost the last 30 years except for two years ago we moved out here but um i lived in la for quite some time so i came out here with the hard la attitude of like here let me pay for my beer leave me alone get out and then um now i'm like i find myself trying to break that habit of like uh that that hard and i i despise that hard la attitude that i had but i never noticed it living there for so long so like it's such a relief to move somewhere where people are kind and they're nice and they um they they love and respect family you know so uh, it's kind of kind of new for me but that's probably why some of the places that you're telling me about in knoxville i don't really know despite kind of growing living here throughout my life on and off right on yeah it's a cool town man um the opportunity to move to la and nashville has been there for a few years but i haven't capitalized on that and I'm pretty thankful because I, I keep talking about the network and that's how I got to where I'm at. Um, it also has prevented a need to go to a place that's overpopulated and overpriced. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I can live yeah. in the Midwest and still work in the industry mm-hmm. through my network compared to being in a town where I'm just like hoping to walk around and meet somebody right. or play at a bar that they're going to notice me. Cause I know that that's how a lot of Nashville musicians that are like gigging musicians that play for country artists or whatever. Mm-hmm they found their gig because they were playing at a bar and that management company came in or something. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. 
And I know that's kind of a good way to get discovered, but I know that you also break your back doing that. Those Nashville musicians, they go through a lot. They play for three or four hours a night, sometimes for no money at all. Yeah, you got to be really dedicated. That'll, That'll burn a lot of people out. I did the cover band thing for years, man, and it did burn me out. I yeah. did country for from 13 to 15, uh, 20, 2013 to 2015, and we were doing like three or four shows a week just in Cincinnati in the Dayton area. Wow. Sometimes we would go outside that room, but it was good money, but it got old fast because yeah. you're playing the same songs, mm-hmm. not your songs. In the same rooms. Same rooms. Yeah. yeah. So I totally understand the struggle down there, but that's why I haven't moved down there. Yeah. You, you have a wide range of uh, uh, music genres that, that you listen to because I looked at some of the drums, uh, drum covers you did. First of all, I got to say that um, I love the Muse. Uh, was it won't stand down? I and I, yeah, I didn't song. realize they they just uh, released this this last month. Muse and I and I looked up on the video and I think you said something about how much you like Muse or that you love Muse or something along those lines. I adore muse as well i mean that what a band what a dynamic amazing band uh they're great yeah and uh yeah i listened to, i saw that drum cover was really good and you you have quite a setup there too um thanks man yeah is, is that in your home in dayton where you did yeah that? okay yeah um so my girlfriend and i bought a house um right before the pandemic in 2019 um we got settled in there and then we had an extra basement like storage room um, not a big house, just a ranch, but we wanted a ranch with a basement. Yeah. Um, so that room eventually became that drum room. I just had to do a little bit of small construction, redo the floors and walls. And it was yellow at first, and everyone convinced me it was too ugly. I liked it, but people didn't like it. So I did white, which is much more balanced and easier to do videos because then sure. I can control the lighting better. And my girlfriend is convinced i have to put filters on everything to make it look cool so (laughs) she's been helping me with that (laughs) i don't care i I think my goal has been to get better audio um and the video quality was there because gopro is what i use they have great cameras um especially for movement so like when you're playing you want to be able to see like the movement and those 4k cameras are affordable and catch everything i need so yeah, so you can kind of clamp um, them around the drum kit, so you can cut to a little, you know, cut to an angle that's showing the kick pedal, and cut to an angle over here mm-hmm. by the snare showing a rapid roll or whatever. Yep, and I have now I have three. I started out by doing one. Okay. So some of the first videos are me using one camera doing a take, moving it to the next spot, doing a take, moving it to the next spot, doing a take, and then trying to make sure that I play the exact same way so the audio matches. Uh, and then it was one microphone. Then it graduated to four microphones. Now I'm using eight microphones. I'll probably get another interface eventually and go to 16, or at least outputs. I don't need 16 for that small room, but yeah, the, the audio is getting better because I'm learning as I go, and I think it's one of the best parts about it. It's really fun. It's so fun to mic a drum kit because um, <clears> there's <throat> no end to mic placement, number of mics, whether you do just kind of you know one kick mic or multiple kick mic, or have you tried triggers mm-hmm. at all, or are they all kind of like... Uh, no, I've I've worked with bands where they use triggers. I actually don't use replacement or anything. My okay. goal is to do 100% real music and have the mics capture what I'm doing. Yeah. So that's been a struggle because it's hard to get a good tone out of mics when you're on a yes. budget. Mics yeah. Are oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's no there's no end to what you can do uh, money wise, but you're right. Trying to operate right. within reasonable money is 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 tough, especially for like. Do you mic each symbol or do you just do like kind of paired 
overhead mics or what? Paired what you overheads. Doing? Yeah, paired overheads. Okay. Yeah, two Behringer condensers. Nice. Uh, C C twos, I think. Okay. Um, and then two fifty sevens, top and bottom for snare. And then I have a set of old CAD mics. It was a brand that was really low end, but they capture the toms pretty well. Nice. Um, and then I'm using a Beta fifty two for the kick. But I use I don't have a Kelly shoe system myself, so I have a porthole in the out outer razor head and my um you know how everybody always does just one or two inches in mm-hmm. to the kick my um the arm that holds the actual mic goes all the way into the kick so it's if this is the kick drum it's centered but also when you look at it from the side it's centered in the actual physical kick drum oh, so and it's, it's pointing up at an angle to the... yep, it's pointing at an angle to where the beaters actually hit the hit the batter head ah okay all right so the mic that's where you get the best punch yeah yeah that's what you want is that tight punchiness so if i had a kelly shoe which i probably should buy one because i want to support that guy's company he's Mm -hmm. really good at what he does um i just haven't done it yet what do those kelly shoe systems cost no not sure is it just a suspension system he sells or does it include the mic or is it just the system and you can put your own mic in it just the system you can put your own mic in it. so it's just like the suspension the horseshoe it's really interesting so the horseshoe um, that all of the rubber bands attach to. It's got the right, like the perfect thing to make it at any angle you want. And it has an attachment for any microphone. Uh-oh. So it's really cool. Right. It's really clever. I don't think it's that expensive. I just haven't done it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much fun. Um, what yeah. program do you use to edit it all together? Like Premiere to edit all the video and audio together? No, I'm using Final Cut Pro. Final Cut Pro. Okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. And I use Logic Pro for my recording. That's so much fun. Um, I'd love to do that. Yeah. It's a lot of, a lot of work fun. though. I yeah. mean, and I don't do it for the views. I, I have built quite an online resume and that's kind of the point, right? The The point is to eventually get that gig. And I tell my production manager and everybody I work with, I'm not going to leave anyone in a situation if I'm, you know, I'm dedicated to a position, I'll stay there. But my goal is to play and I'll probably always hold on to that. Um, sure. Because it is, it is interesting because people are like, you're going to give up checking to go play? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I mean, that's not, there's no question there. Yeah, um, no, no, that seems, yeah, like a definite obvious one for me too. Yeah, I mean, it's there is a means to an end for this position, and I, I never want it to sound disrespectful to the guys that have done this for their whole life. Sure. But that's why I ask them questions like, so were you a player before? How'd you get into the industry? I usually try and get to know everybody in that realm because right. some of the drum techs were like, yeah, I wanted to be the drummer for a little while, but I gave up. I was like, I don't think I'll ever do that. Yeah, I can't watch the drummer the rest of my life. Right, Set right. up and watch him play. Just something in me that makes me want to be that yeah. instead of the tech. But yeah. I'm obviously thankful for where I'm at. And I'm going to enjoy the ride while I'm here. But in that same realm, when I'm home, I'm putting out as much content as I can. Well, I think 99 or more percent of musicians have to have some sort of other side job to actually pay the bills at least consistently, right? So it's really cool that, that your side job is also well integrated in the industry and benefits your, your network and connectivity to people in the industry and makes you a better drummer and all that. So it's just a 100%. perfect harmony for the, the goal of playing is <clears throat> uh, funded by um, being a part of the playing industry. So that's rad. Right. Do you, do you have bands that you play with currently? Currently, um, there's a small cover band that has some original stuff. They're called Until Rust. Um, really good friends of mine back in Dayton. 
we do some full band stuff, but it's usually like a micro kit. I have a small, I have, I'm endorsed by Spawn Drums. Have you guys heard of Spawn Drums? No. Small company. Okay. Um, outside of LA, make really good drums. Brian Spawn is the owner. You should check him out. Um, he also does Simtech cymbals, the same company. So I have drums from them and cymbals from them. But my micro kit is like, see, there's 16 or an 18 inch kick. So it's real small. And then my rack tom is like a pancake tom. It's real small. Mm-hmm. And then um, small floor tom. So it's like easy to take around the bars, but it still has a really good tone to it. It's nice. Cool. Yeah, but that's... yeah, that's the only band I'm playing with currently because um, there's not really a lot of opportunity in Dayton, to be honest with you, when it comes to like a, gig- a gigging musician. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have you know been asked to do some full-time stuff, but to be honest with you, I can't afford to do it for... Um, something that isn't going to pay my bills, right? So right, if I have an right. opportunity to play for a full-time band but go back to being in a van and trailer, it better be financially better than what, how I'm doing now right. or else I can't do it. For sure. And that's, you know, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Knowing your value is important without being a jerk about it. Totally, totally. So I do, so, want, I do want to jump into process real quick because I think it's interesting to go through the nuts and bolts of, of an interesting job and – um, so like tomorrow is a working day and you're in Grand Rapids, you said tomorrow. Yeah. So like, what's that look like tomorrow morning? You guys have a lobby call at a time. Um, what's, mm-hmm. what's tomorrow look like? What's the, what's the, the work day look like? <clears throat> so lobby call for backline and pyro, I think it's 10 AM. Okay. So all the staging and all the lighting and audio, those guys will go in before we do. And it's important to keep everybody in, um, their specific time because too many people in one area can get crowded pretty quickly. Sure. And, um, working with arenas and stadiums and amphitheaters, you have local stage hands that come in and help do all the loading and unloading, um, stage setup. And they usually are there for most of the day. So when I get in there at 10, we'll dump the backline truck. Um, if the stage isn't ready, I'll kind of go through to make sure all my stuff is there maybe get some breakfast and wait until it's my turn because depending on the size of the venue, there's usually not a lot of space to set up a drum riser in the back and then go up on stage with it. Right. Um, the way that we're doing our stage, unfortunately, even if there was room, it's not something that they could do because they have to set up my riser with like all the other stage props and lights and stuff. So they'll probably just forklift or ramp my drum cases up on the stage when it's my turn. And then I'll open up the cases and start setting up the kit after I roll the carpet out. Um, so usually I can get done within an hour, get a good tuning, and then maybe go get some lunch. And as long as I'm ready by the time we're supposed to do line check, which is usually 12 or 1, something like that, um, the band might come in. And that also depends on the day. It changes daily. Okay. But if they don't come in, line check is just me going through all of the mics on the kit and making sure everything works properly and making sure it sounds good out front. He might have me play a little bit and then my, my part is done until either they do sound check or the show. Okay. So drums are dialed in, they're um, set up, they're sitting there. It's like noon. So it's a long time <clears throat> until showtime. So you're free until showtime. You're just kind of go out and do whatever, stay nearby, keep your phone on. Uh, yeah. We usually always have our radios and we're mm-hmm. supposed to have them on. Um, unless you have something special going on, they want you to stay okay. like in the vicinity. Um, so I either help anybody else that might need it because Mark, our keyboard and bass tech has a lot of stuff like, um, two organs, um, a couple keyboards, Mellotron, and then bass, like three bases. Okay. So 
all of those are in road cases. So he has a lot more to set up. And then we have like four guitar amps and there's just a lot. So instead of just setting up my stuff and bouncing normally to help, I usually stick around and try to make sure there isn't any troubleshooting we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. In the past, it would be me going through all the computer programs and making sure that everything is running properly and, you know, doing both of those jobs. It's a lot, especially with Ray's kit, but luckily that was a different situation because it lived on the riser for the most part. Okay. So it almost stayed set Rolled up. right in the semi. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or like fully yeah. set up or just kind of collapsed a little bit, but still in place? Mostly set up. Um, like the taller cymbal arms would come down. Some of the rack toms and snares would go in cases. Um, and I think the some rack pieces needed to be put away. And the electronics had its own like case for it or whatever. When a drum kit needs to be collapsed more than like Ray's kit that lives on a riser, when it needs to be really broken down and, and made as small as possible for transportation, how do you get it set up in the exact same way every time? Are you like marking the stands or like do you have a rug that you're kind of marking where the, the kick drum feet and stuff go or how does that kind of placement mm-hmm. work? Um, it depends on the tour. Sometimes if it's uh, if the riser is carpeted, we'll just mark the riser. But yeah, of course, I mark where all the legs go. I have memory locks on every single cymbal stand, memory locks on the floor tom, um, legs, memory locks on, or at least markings, like the Sharpie, on the hi-hat, the kick pedal, the snare stands. Um, he got two timbales to add to the kit, so now we have three rototoms, two timbales, and then the rest of the kit with all the stands and stuff, so it is actually growing. Talking about getting a gong for Danny, which would be cool. Okay. But there's a lot of different moving parts, um, so the carpet has to be marked for sure, because... I mean, I can probably do it by memory. I had sure. to a couple times, and it worked. He only had to tweak a couple things. But it's really important to do that because you don't know where you're going to be, right? Um, how much time you'll have. Uh, so when we were setting up a couple days ago for our first show, you'll, you'll always run into issues depending on the venue, and it's no one's fault. It's just how it happens. Sure. So like the stage was set so far back, there wasn't room to really get around the back of the stage. Mm-hmm. So because of that, we had to wait till the lighting was fully up in the air before we could even get into place to go on stage. So once we did, they were like, we got a sound check in 20 minutes. Like, okay, cool. So, so I was able to set up in 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So then but the, having, having the memory locks and markings and stuff. Yeah. Change, it's a game changer. I would yeah. always do that. Yeah, and I did in the past. Up setting it up by memory like you get it very close if not almost perfect and then you go oh the whole kit has to move three inches to the left and it's not like you can slide a whole drum kit to the left each individual piece has to move and probably yeah yeah you know so that's that's you know more time um yeah so basically when we were doing rehearsal he had an old carpet but whoever was the drum tech before um just use a sharpie to mark the carpet but i use gaff tape which is like our best friend on tour yeah. um it's it's a better version of duct tape basically yeah, and if you want to change it, then you can just pull it off and re-put it, where once you Sharpie it, Sharpie is, it's done. Yep, and it doesn't leave any residue like duct tape does. Right, oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I mark all the carpet, and then I also have a uh, label maker, so every stand is actually labeled for what it holds. Hmm. Um, that's pretty important, too, because if something was to happen, and they needed somebody to fill in, or especially with COVID, we have this mentality now to make sure that whoever could take our place if that happens, is set up to succeed so the band doesn't have any issues. Ah, interesting. All right, because all of a sudden someone may test positive and then they're out for two weeks or longer. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, interesting. That's been, a, that's been a new way of doing things. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, memory locks and marking the carpet, hundred percent. Okay. And collapsing the kit isn't that bad. He's got uh, three drum cases, two for all the shells, one for like all the hardware and fans and everything else we use. Um, mm-hmm. I keep extra stuff in there, some of the seats. And then besides that, we have a jam room that we set up for these guys, which oh. is he's using an Alasis electric drum kit. It's a whole different uh, drum case that goes oh. to production, which is near the dressing rooms. Okay. Um, then we have a keyboard, a small guitar amp um, that we set up in there for them. So if they want to go jam, they can. Nice. Okay. Just they like to play. Warm up or yeah, work they, out. Work they out love to play. <laughs> I wasn't kidding. Like, they'll just go in there and jam for hours and then go on stage and jam for hours. Like, wow. It's almost unheard of at that level because those guys are, some of the guys I work for, you know, they could be rock stars. Yeah. They don't show up until showtime and they go right back to their hotel or right back to their bus. You know, these right. guys are not like that at all. Wow. New cool. heads for every show, new sticks for every show. Uh, new sticks for every show. And Danny is, um, picky about his rap. He wraps the sticks with stick wrap. Oh, okay. Um, on the base, make it easier to hold and it's softer. Mm-hmm. So he was using five B and he moved to five a drumstick size. Okay. And then he uses the wrap. So it's almost as thick as a five B but it's soft. Gotcha. And a lighter um, stick overall. He, but Lighter stick overall. Yeah. He actually doesn't like changing drum heads very often. Really? All right. Well, yeah, those, uh, the emperors you said, those, those are pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. They, they, they can handle for, I mean, they're no way going to make it through the whole tour, right? I mean, you always have backups. Yeah, I have backups. Um, that's changes needed. Some of the drum cases. Yeah, all changes needed. His snare will need to change more often than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and a 16-inch floor tom, actually, he uses that a lot. Yeah, in some of the songs, he's pretty dynamic though. He's a good drummer. He doesn't break sticks often, and he doesn't change heads often. Ray hit a lot harder. Um, his his drum second for him is like you have to be an athlete. He would throw <laughs> sticks like at the end of almost every song, and then the lights would go out. Oh. And I'm right behind the kit. You have your playback system with two laptops on stands to make sure they don't overheat. And I'm like hovering over it, waiting to get hit by a drumstick, making sure he doesn't break a computer. <laughs> that was almost every song. So he would break probably four or five sticks a show. Man. And that tour we did, the last the last tour I did with him was a little under two months, and he broke 14 cymbals. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. So a whole whole different ballgame. It's not even yeah. the same at all. Wow. And he would throw out usually four or five pairs of sticks. I would just hand him like, when he came off the riser, I would take his ears and his pack, his in-ear, like wireless pack, um, set it on my work box, and I would hand him a bundle of sticks that he had broke the night before or whatever, or the sticks I collected that yeah. he would throw, um, and he would go out and throw them. Danny only throws out one pair a night. So, like, okay. it's really interesting. It might change because Ray's been doing this longer than Danny's been alive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Th- things might change, but yeah. it's, it's different for every drummer, man. So every – I would do the snare – every two days for Ray. And we tried to stretch the Tom heads two or three days, but they were pretty beat up when I would change them because he hits really hard. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, what about you, Mike? You, I, I remember seeing you like, uh, I don't know if you throw the stick, but I remember Dude. they certainly would come out. Dude, out I, was, I was an uncontrolled mess and, and, and <laughs> drunk most of the time we were playing. So I, I hit way too hard. And, uh, you know, cracking the rims of the drums a lot. So I'm breaking a lot of sticks, smash my knuckle on the snare drum and just splatter blood all over it and all that. I was, I was a sloppy mess, dude. I was more I was having fun. I used to have a scar. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. 
You yeah, wouldn't be able to see it, but there. Dude, you used to have the twirl too. You had the twirl. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'd have a little twirl, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, it was just fun, dude. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah. man, I remember, I remember sometimes you wouldn't even notice you smashed your knuckle on the snare, and and then after you stop the show or stop a song, and you look down, and it just looks like a murder scene. You know, you're like, oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that happens. Yeah, so it it depends on the drummer for sure, and it is sure. fun. I agree. Um, <laughs> Brandon, the drummer that played for Marilyn Manson. Um, he was only 26 or 25 when he got that gig. So he's, you know, headlining a bunch of places. Same idea as Danny, like another young guy. Yeah. Um, but he also hits super hard. He would break a couple pairs of sticks usually every show. Yeah. Um, but because it was the Marilyn Manson show, it's much different at that level because Brandon was a member of his live band, but he didn't really do that much studio stuff. And when the show's done, he gets off stage. He doesn't go out and throw sticks and like wave at the crowd or whatever. You know what I mean? He's uh, just bounced. Right. It's Marilyn Manson's show. It's Marilyn Manson's show. Yeah. So, but, so, you know, Ray was part of Corn and Danny's right. part of Greta. So it's a little different. Oh, uh, yeah. That's that's an interesting element is is when it's not necessarily like Marilyn Manson's a solo act, but kind of. You're there to see Marilyn Manson. The other players are kind of interchangeable for the most part. Um, where... Yeah, that, that that does make sense. So even if you are like a super like um, active drummer that's really bringing a lot of presence to the show, like that may or may not be a good thing when you're when you're playing for you know the the artist like a Marilyn Manson or someone else who like focus is supposed to be on them. Not that you know they're like, hey man, you're stealing my thunder. But like the the point of the show is for people want to see Marilyn Manson. So I wonder right. if they kind well, of want to dial some of that down, or they talk to you like, hey dude, nah, don't do this again. Like this one thing you did, like that draws too much attention. Maybe dial that down or whatever possible it is possible yeah. i never heard of that uh personally but i know that the focus is on like so when it came to the Marilyn manson shows the three band members would come to stage like 10 to 15 minutes before showtime and like get ready like i would make sure brandon was packed and he would start warming up on a pad or something mm-hmm. um and then they would announce over the radio all right we're coming to stage and it would be Marilyn manson with his assistant and security and the tour manager right the rest yeah. of the band doesn't get that. That's, right. that's kind of how it is at that level. Mm-hmm. But when you're a, when you're a band member, usually the band comes to stage as a group. Right. Makes sense. It's a little I feel like different. Bad Religion was a little bit like that too, don't you, Mike? Do you oh. get the feeling that? Oh, they're a band. Yeah, yeah. No, Bad Religion is a band. All the members are kind of in the same, yeah, class. Although some <laughs> of them have been in, in the band for thirty years, and other ones were, you know, just the new guy or whatever. But yeah, they're a band. Right. Um. So to to round off the process piece, um, oh yeah, you, you're all set up. The no 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 yeah no worries. It's fun to to talk about whatever comes up. There's so many things to kind of touch on, and so like while the drummer's playing, are you hanging nearby to you know pick up a cymbal stand if it falls over, or replace a cymbal mm-hmm. if it breaks, or hand him sticks if he's out, that kind of thing? Yep, I, I usually uh, since I started drum teching, um, every now and then you can take your focus off. It doesn't have to be like super strict stare at the drummer the whole time, but I'm, I watch him like a hawk for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I make sure that he has everything he needs. So at this gig currently, he has a talk back microphone. If you don't know what that is, it usually is set up for each individual musician or each station backstage for us to communicate as a group okay. wirelessly with our in-ears. So you push a button or you turn your mic on and you can talk to the rest of the crew or the band. Okay. So if the band needs something in their mix during the show, Danny will push a foot pedal, lean back and say, I need more guitar or whatever. 
And then it's usually gotcha. a good way to communicate. So he can say, hey, Dave, I need you to come do this. But he hasn't or, yet. Or um, Rack Tom just falls over and he's like, Mayday, Tom down, Tom down. Yeah, but this, even though Danny's a great drummer and he has a pretty cool solo, he doesn't hit in a way that would ever be detrimental to really breaking cymbals or making anything fall over. And I have okay. it all set up pretty pretty well. So his big rack tom is on a snare stand, but it has I have the legs of, or the base of the snare stand spread out as far as possible to give it mm. more um, space. But I also yeah. have a sandbag on it so it doesn't fall over. Oh, nice. So there's, there's little things that you can do, um, whether it's if you have a graded drum riser and you don't use a rug, um, there's cups that you can get that you can strap them down the cups um there's a lot of different ways you've probably seen drummers that have like solos where the drum riser goes sideways or spins or goes upside down stuff like that yeah. there are ways to keep drum stands from moving completely um but if it's a regular riser i usually try to do sandbags of some kind if, if it's a cymbal stand or um tom stands like wobbly yeah 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 just to put but weight yeah. on the legs um for this show there's pyro and there's not a lot of space on stage for me to actually be on stage because normally I like to be close to the drum set so I can see everything. Um, so I'm off deck and it's only a five foot stage. So I'm just under six foot. So I have a pretty good view. I just have to find a good spot somewhere on the outskirts of the stage to be able to see him the whole time. And then one of the songs I actually go up and we, we change his snare out. Mm. Um, so he has a snared Titans, I would say medium to high um, with its tension and it has a pretty good crack to it. Uh, but he's old school with his setup, obviously, and with the style of music they play. Yeah. So he really likes that metal ring that the yeah. old school snares would have. But, yeah, that, that kind of Zeppelin-y, rocky feel is very mm -hmm. open. It's very resonant. Yep. But they have a song called Age of Machine. Great song. Um, but it has a different snare tone. Mm. So instead of doing a side snare, because he's limited with how much space he has, I go up there and hand him the extra snare. He takes the snare off hands it to me and puts this other one on just for that one song. And then we switch it back. Okay. Um, so that's the only time I need to be on stage technically, unless something happens gotcha. like walking into the kit. Cause there's so much, if you guys see the stage set up, I'm not supposed to post anything. It's really cool. They have cauldrons and a bunch of pyro and a bunch of cables like everywhere for the pyro and cauldrons and like wow. this huge elaborate thing. So there's no easy path to get anywhere. Um, from, from like behind where the, the line of, um, amps and drums are like back this way where Danny would need to walk to his drum kit. It's like pretty elaborate. So I have to go up and walk him to his kit, but that usually is the case anyway, making sure wow. you can see. Cause they have what they call a Kabuki. You know what a Kabuki is? No, I, I know I've heard of Kabuki theater, but I don't know how it pertains <clears throat> to a live show. Um, it's just a different name for a big curtain. Okay that they drop when our stage time is ready. So they have the opening bands play and the Kabuki is wrapped up uh, in this giant um, hanging trellis basically. And it has automated uh, locks. So the person down on the ground can push a button and the Kabuki will drop and the curtain will hide the stage while we're getting the band ready. And then they'll do their intro music or whatever. And then once they start playing a song, there's like a certain cue where the guy, usually the carpenter is in charge of pushing the Kabuki to drop. And then when the kabuki drops, it's like when a big thing hits and then the band is revealed to like the, the crowd. A lot of bands do that. It's like pretty common. Um, yeah, it's a big unveiling. Yeah, that's a big <clears throat> uh, right. peak. Ah, that's so the cool. band could be up there without like freaking anyone out. Right, like, right. 
these guys have a huge, huge following. Um, so if they're back there kind of, you know, setting their guitar down and the crowd sees them, they're going to go ape shit and it's going to kind of spoil the reveal. It's less impactful when they do reveal without a kabuki. So that's pretty cool that they'd use those. Nice. Um, So then, um, okay. So you get through the show, show's done, um, tear down, load up onto the next city, right? Mm-hmm. What, what's that kind of look like? Like, so tear down, you're loading everything into three cases for the drums. You said, um, yeah. So I have my work box, which is a separate case that I just keep like all my tools in it. Okay. Any drum teching tools. I have like craftsman tool set, um, like 20 volt for everything. So I have like a grinder if I need to cut any stands down, um, anything to work on the actual drums. Uh, so polish for everything, towels, um, all the extra drum parts you can think of all the extra hand tools for drums you can think of. Do you clean the cymbals after every show or, or frequently? Because cymbals do get pretty grimy uh, pretty quickly just from hand oil and shit. Yep. Unless they're really dirty, not after the show, but mm-hmm. before, like when I have more time to set up during the day. Okay. If I need to wipe them down, I will. Same right. with the shelves because we have pyro and like some fireworks. Oh, stuff. so they get a bunch of like residue or smoke or just whatever. They can. They can. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, so yeah, I try to clean those daily, um, but Danny's not picky. Okay. Other drummers have been picky, but he, he's like, I, don't, I really don't care, man, as long as the drums sound good. Because uh, he knows when you look at it from the crowd, you're not going to see a finger smudge. On a yeah, cymbal. no, you're not. Especially with the lights on, they're all just shining and shimmering anyway. Yeah, you're not noticing, right. you know. Yeah, yeah If you have a photographer or video walls where people are using cameras, that's different. Sure. Um, but it really doesn't matter that much, though. Yeah. Nobody's going to notice that because he's going to smudge it if he, you know, if he does any cymbal grabs, it's just going to happen. Sure. I'm not going to go up there and polish it while he's playing. <laughs> In between shows. <laughs> right. So as long as they have a good bass look and yeah. like, that's usually the goal is yeah. to have a good place to start. Cause he'll go up and tweak the tuning sometimes too. Okay. For his own, for his own, um, like some guys are just tweakers, not in a drug way, but like they like uh-huh. to tweak their drum kit. Yeah. So I do have a, a bass marking, just like a bass tuning. So I'll tune it what I think the room needs and then I'll coordinate with the monitor and sound guy, the front house sound guy to make sure that it sounds good for the room. Yeah. And once it does, if Danny tweaks it from there, it's, you know, he's a band member. It's his, his kit. He can do sure. whatever he wants. But usually the way that I already have it set up and, uh, tuned. So the look and the sound is usually exactly the way it needs to be for the show. He can adjust it if he wants, but he doesn't need to. Okay. So, so it's then, more of a, a mental thing, probably just like going up and like, I need to, yeah. Check the tuning. Just, right. Just as routine. Yeah, yeah. It just feels good to kick the tires. Yeah. Um, uh, so the loadout, dude, It's it can be nuts at this level. So well, the, the local stagehands will show up right before the show's over. And then when the show's over, they try to make everybody in the venue leave. And they have forklift drivers bringing cases onto the stage. They have people handing off monitor, um, like actual stage wedges and stuff. And like, the sound guys are unplugging all their stuff. I'm trying to break down my drums. The guitar players putting away his guitars. Like everybody's working all at once because they got to bring everything down from the ceiling before they break down the stage because the stage travels with us. It gets set up every day. Wow, man. So, and then so in a, a band like this that's putting on you know super jammy uh, shows where they're jamming for two or plus, two plus hours or whatever. Concerts are ending at midnight, one a.m. You know sometimes earlier, sometimes later. I'm sure, but late, right? They're headlining. They're playing uh, late. Right around 10, 30, 11. All right. Because we do 9 to 11 is their show time. And it's usually so like, there. that's kind of when a big bulk of the work starts. So, all right, their show ends. 
work starts again. You guys tear it all down, load it all up. Everyone's trying to kind of do it at the same time, right? So you have all day to set up and then just like an hour to tear down. And Ish, yeah, because I mean, a lot of the time the bus call is what limits us. So yeah, it's like, oh, we have, sure. we have a 12 a.m. bus call. We need to go. We so. need to get on the road. We're going to Detroit or whatever, and it's a three-hour drive. And you guys get into town for the next city. You're all ready to check into hotels, crash out, wake up, do it all again? Uh, there's not always hotels. So, okay. like, uh, we have a hotel today for the day off. So we got here at, like, 4 in the morning. Most of us were still sleeping. You wake up, check into your room, and then we'll stay in the hotel tonight. And then we'll have lobby call tomorrow for the show. So we're staying. We usually try, like, if we have a day off, we try to stay within the vicinity of close to where the next show is going to be. Sure. You know? Yeah, you don't want to get stuck somewhere or whatever. Right. Okay. Um, usually the band stays elsewhere just cause it's the way it is. Sure. Um, whether it's a financial thing or a safety thing, depending on how big the band is, these guys have a pretty, pretty crazy following. They're girls, they're like a lot of girls. Uh, they're yeah. like a boy band oh. when it comes to their, their fans. It was nuts. I've never seen anything like it. Oh, wow. interesting. Um, people waiting outside the venue the night before kind of thing. Wow. Is it, do they have any love songs or because the way it sounded like they were kind of like a little bit of a heavy band, but, uh, no, girls don't, no, no. Oh, Red okay. Van Fleet's not heavy. Yeah. No, um, very they, jammy, they, yeah. Yeah. They oh, play okay. rock and roll. It's like real, real jammy. Um, you should look them up. They, they do have some pretty good soft like ballads for sure. Cause there's a lot of organ and key stuff going on. The bass player will put his bass down oh, and he goes and he gotcha. rips up an organ, dude. He's really good. Dude, they're oh, really they are good. a jam band too. Yeah. Okay. And the singer is almost like, I don't know. I, I I heard a little bit of like the singer from Rush in his voice, like just a really cool seventies ish. I don't know. I keep using the same adjectives to describe him or whatever, but it's really, it's it, it threw me back, man. It, it's a trip that a brand new yeah. band of young guys that came out now is sounding that way because it's such a cool classic seventies uh, sound that um, mm-hmm. it's cool that it's resonating with young kids too because I could see like not just myself, but like my mom being all stoked on these guys, like, Oh my God, they sound so awesome. These are what bands sounded like when I was in high school and, and, and all that. Um, but I guess a lot of those an eclectic fan base. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But I guess a lot of those styles from like the seventies and all that are, are in, are in again. So, um, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, I'm picturing vocals... my morning jacket. Is that, is that a good, maybe not. No, They're kind of, th- no, I don't think so. It's imagine, uh, so like vocally, you have, I think you're right. There's some rush in there, but I think CCR yeah. is also in there because he has a really nice. good gruff mm-hmm. way about some of the notes he hits. It's not real clean, which is good because it's more rock and roll that mm-hmm. way. And then definitely Led Zeppelin is the band they always are compared to. So if yeah. you ever have listened to Led Zeppelin, there's only lyrics on like half of their songs. Yeah, because the rest of it's just jamming. It's and just, that's yeah. On the on the record, I think it's more full songs like a regular band would be, but live it's like drawn out quite a bit they That's just rad. play i dig that I but they're you. really really into like making it legit so like when we were doing rehearsal they were going through different intros and outros and how they were gonna as a band musically make it make sense because danny originally wasn't a drummer he's a guitar player and he plays keys and he's a singer and he knows like the notations so That's sometimes cool. jake the guitar player will look to danny be like what key was that in like he it's so interesting. I've never heard bands look to the drummer for stuff like that. that that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's that, usually the drummer like messing up and the guitar player getting mad at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but 
So, uh, okay. One, one thing I want to touch on, we are, we are almost out of time and I don't want to keep you too long on your day off. Um, I wanted to see if you had any advice for someone who, um, would want to get into doing this. Um, obviously networking is a big, um, a big part of it. Um, you know, I, I would say for networking, a good thing to do is just start going to shows, start making yourself useful, be there, be known, talk to people. But like, what advice would you give to someone who is saying like, that's the path I want to go. I want to play in, I want to play in a band, but uh, a real working, realistic career path would be teching. What advice would you give someone who wanted to get started in that? Um, if there's ever a question in your mind of like, should I take this risk? The answer is going to be yes. When it comes to this kind of a living, because I said no many times and I regret all of those. Cause I was like, that could have put me into a position where I'd be the drummer now sure. instead of the tech. Right. So saying yes is huge, man. Um, say no to drugs, but say yes to tour. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it's, it's definitely something that everyone that if they're interested, they should try to work their way up. I think it's the best way to do it because you get uh, the hard experiences out of the way. Um, Warp Tour is a really good, I wish that was still around. It was such a good training for tech. Oh dude. Warp Tour was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was fun to go to, but it was it was grueling if you were a tech. Yeah, you had to load in at like seven or eight in the morning. Behind each stage, there's two semis: one for the stage, one for all the gear, and then you set up in between the semis, and the stage is attached to one of the semis, um, semi trailers. But um, I worked with Whitechapel and Atreyu on Warp Tour, so I set up two different drum kits. And sometimes you play one after another, and they weren't small drum kits. Atreyu had three kit drums at the time for some oh reason. Oh my god. Um, yeah, a lot. And those guys hit hard too. So I was doing drum head changes and, and uh, full polishing of the kits daily because you're setting up in the dirt. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so those were 10 or 12 hour days. And that was like the way that I really found out how to be efficient in this yeah. side of the industry. So I would say definitely festival tours, maybe join a local state chance union if you can. You learn a lot about how the operations of a, a full day goes by being part of stagehand union and you can make good money. Wow. Interesting. Um, Cause union pay union pay is usually, you know, prevailing wage. I'm not pro or anti unions. I don't want to talk about political stuff. No um, pro work, but, but when it comes to, um, learning the industry. Yeah. 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 What a better yeah way exposure to, to be it. there. And you may not be, you know, touring with huge bands, but certainly getting, uh, experience in relevant work and meeting people. Mm -hmm. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Most, most big cities have a stagehand union or you can join one within, you know, a couple hours of where you live and then they'll send you to different venues, Yeah. um, to figure it out. So yeah, say yes to tours for sure. Dude, Work local shows, maybe get involved in a venue. If they don't have a union, just see if they need like a, a patch guy or like a, a carpenter or lighting guy. If you learn something, um, that will be valuable in the trade world for the music industry. Then as long as you can hang and you, you're a good worker, you'll find work. That's killer, dude. That's good advice, man. Um, well, we got to wrap. I, I really appreciate you spending time with us today, David. It was so much fun talking to you about the ins and outs of, of a super interesting line of work, man. I really appreciate you spending the time and sharing it with us. Yeah, of thank course, you. Man. Yeah, yeah, I know uh, it's hard to kind of dive into everything because there's so much that goes on. Yeah, but I think this is you know a good surface um, skimming of what what the music industry has to offer for people that want to work. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. I really appreciate you giving it to us. That was, that was awesome. If no you're problem. in Knoxville, let's have a beer. I'm down, man. There's a couple okay. breweries that, if you haven't been, I might be able to take you. Those White Apple guys love breweries. Okay, yeah. Yeah. You bet. Very cool. Cool. Well, thanks, David. Yeah. Been a ton of fun. Enjoy the rest of your day off. And, uh, cool, I will. We'll, we'll hit you up when this thing is out. And um, we really appreciate you spending the time with us, man. Thanks again. Cool. Derek and Mike, I appreciate it, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks, brother. Thank Have you. Have a good one. Take care, Dave. All right. Later, man. Later. So saying yes is huge, man. Um, say no to drugs and say yes to tour. Hey, this is Mike. Thanks so much for joining us. We really, really do appreciate you. And we hope you're enjoying the show. Derek and I sure have a ton of fun doing it for you. If you'd like to support the show, that would be great. Um, you could follow or subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app. Uh, also, if you want to like the show or leave a good review, that would be cool. Let us know we're doing a good job. We'd appreciate it. Uh, in most podcast apps, you can also click the little bell icon thing, and that means you'll get a notification on your phone every time we put out a new episode. So that's kind of cool. Also, if you want to reach out and say what's up, we'd love to hear from you. You can hit us up on Twitter at Derek and Mike Pod. We're also on Instagram as Derek and Mike, or you can go to our website, DerekandMike.com. And if you want to go super old school and antisocial, you could even shoot us an email, info at DerekandMike.com. Thanks again for listening. We really, really do appreciate you, and we look forward to talking to you again next time.